I gave the historical background. And without the historical background, those of you who are here understand this, there's a lot in the letter you will not understand. Because Paul's writing out of a specific need. There's something that provoked the letter. There was something happening in Colossae. We looked at what that was. We looked at where Paul was. He's in prison in Rome. And we looked at what was happening in Colossae. And then we met people like Philemon, Archippus, Tychicus, and Epaphras, all of whom are mentioned in the letter. So the historical background is vital. What I want to do is give sort of a, it's not really an overview, but an intro to what Paul is going for in this letter. And uh, I want to make a few points. Here's the first one. Jesus Christ is far beyond what any of us can imagine. He is far beyond what any of us can imagine. He's far beyond what most of us have been taught. He's far beyond what most of us can conceive of. Actually, what all of us can conceive of. He's beyond. And this is significant because what the Colossian Christians were doing is something that I see everywhere in the Christian world. Right or wrong, this is how I see it. They were looking for, I'm going to use a term here, I'll define it later. They were looking for fullness, God's fullness, somewhere outside of Jesus Christ. Okay? They all, I'm sure, were clear. If you ask them about Jesus, they would say, oh, he's my Savior. You know, he's forgiven me of my sins. Right? And I'm sure they would also say, you know, Epaphras presented the gospel to us and we surrendered to his lordship. He's our Lord. And then they would say something like, we know all that. We got that down. Now we have to pursue other things. And if you talk to the average Christian, I know this because I, in conversations with believers, I'll say things like, I went such and such and I preached Jesus Christ. The way they process that is, oh well, you were just sharing that he was, he needed to be their savior? Or you were just sharing that he's their Lord? Well, I know that. Tell me something else. Well, let's go on to other things. I mean, he's my savior, he's my Lord, let's go on to other stuff. And that's why when I sit in these seminars that I'm invited to speak, I'm not hearing Christ because these speakers have advanced beyond Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? And here is my statement. If the Christ that you and I have, or that any Christian has had, if that Christ is not enough to live from, to chase, to explore, to go after for the rest of your life, then you have met a Jesus that's different from the Jesus that Paul has preached and that is unveiled in Colossians. It's a different Jesus. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's literally a different Jesus. But... It is such a dim view of Jesus, such a superficial view of Jesus, that we can say, you've only touched the surface of who Christ is. 
uh, it's kind of like this. Um, think of a great politician. Um, I don't want to mention names here because there'll be a division in the room. What are you talking about? So just think of whoever whoever your favorite politician is, whether it's Lincoln or George Bush or Barack or whoever. Okay, somebody you really look up to, admire Teddy Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, whoever, George Washington. Um, now just think of that politician. You admire him now. That's what I'm saying. You admire, you look up to him. Think of his little boy. Imagine he has a little boy, five years old. He's being interviewed. Tell us about your daddy. My daddy's the strongest man in the world. He can lift a hundred pounds over his head. Now, of course, if the child was disciplined just before the interview, he may say something like, my daddy's the meanest guy in the world. <laughs> Take that same kid and now he's 30 years old. And he's interviewed. Tell us about your daddy. I admire my dad more than any other person on the planet. And here's why. Okay, he's talking about the same person. The same politician. It's not a different politician. So this is what I'm saying about Jesus Christ. There is the final board Jesus. And don't think that many Christians, that's the Jesus they know. The flannel board Jesus. There's the Sunday school Jesus. And there's the Jesus that's been preached from many, many pulpits in America. It is the Jesus we know. He is the Savior. He is Lord. He's the healer. Thank you. He's the healer. He's the deliverer. He's the king. Okay, we, we say all these things. But the Christ that is presented by Paul in Colossians is beyond all of that. I mean, when you see who this Christ is, how amazing, incredible, unbelievable, it smokes brain cells, literally. And you just have to say, oh my goodness, wow, what an incredible, amazing person this Christ is. And not only that, but see you no longer pursue and chase anything else because everything else in the Christian life, in church life, in, in our life, everything else is just wiped off the table. And He fills everything and He becomes this person who we are now consumed with, who we now fully chase and fully surrender. But no... And this is why Paul, in 29 verses, can mention this Christ 30 times. If he just knew Him as the Savior, or the Lord, or the flannel board Jesus, or the Sunday school Jesus, or the Jesus that's preaching in most pulpits today, he couldn't be dripping, spilling, again and again, Christ as He's talking. It wouldn't happen. People who come to their... And I've heard it before, I've heard it. It, it sounds like this. Well, yeah, we meet Jesus, we know Jesus, but then we have to go on to other things. And for them, Jesus really isn't enough. It's not because it's a different Jesus. It's because their view of Christ is so superficial and so immature 
that they think they have to seek other things. So what am I saying here? Bora, what I'm saying is, I believe that your apprehension of who Jesus is is going to be so far beyond what it is now. And the result is, you're going to fall in love with Him more than you are now. You're going to be amazed by Him more than you are now. And listen to this. You will be electrified by Him in the same way or more than most of the people in this town are electrified by college football. <laughs> Is that possible? Yes. If you see the Christ of Colossians, not only is it possible, it'll happen. Look at the kind of devotion, devotion that people have to a football team. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it is. That's what it is. It's devotion. It's a devotion. It borders on worship. That's why they're called fans. Fans, yeah. The time. And I'm not saying it's wrong. You know, that's cool. I like entertainment. I watch movies, you know, and I'm a fan of movies. But I'm talking about the level of devotion. Think about a young man who falls in love with a woman. The kind of devotion that's there. He's thinking about her all the time. Talking about her all the time. Wants to be with her all the time. Misses her when he's not there. If we could see, get a glimpse of, a sighting of Christ, the Christ in Colossians, our loyalty, our love, our enthusiasm will eclipse both those things. Now imagine a group of Christians who are electrified by Christ, consumed with Christ, in love with Christ, and totally dedicated to Him in that kind of way. Would that not be something unique in this town? Or wouldn't it be unique in this state? (laughs) Unique maybe in this planet. And this is what God the Father is after. He's looking for a people who are utterly dedicated, fully yielded to, consumed with, saturated with, obsessed with His Son, because He deserves that. And not only that, but if we see Him as He is, it will automatically pull us toward Him like that. Yeah, it can't help it. It's not the message of guilt. Well, this is Jesus. This is you. You need to do this. You need to follow. You need to have these feelings. No, it's my eyes have been opened. You know, it's like that guy who sees that girl, you know, and falls in love with her. He's like, whoa. He doesn't have to be talked into it. He doesn't have to be guilted into it, right? And I'm sure the enthusiasm that football fans in this town have toward, I'm sure that they're not guilted into that, right? <laughs> well, in most cases, you know, they're not at the football games because somebody's paying them to be there. You know what I mean? They want to be there. And so, this is what we're endeavoring to present, this Christ. Now, this gets into um, the issue of fullness. I want you to look at a couple verses. There's two, two texts in Colossians that are the key texts. Before I do that, I want to read something since we're on the point of the greatness of Christ. And you could you can sum up this letter by saying it's a Magna Carta of the supremacy of Christ, the fullness of Christ, and we'll talk about what that is, 
and the preeminence of Christ and the all-sufficiency of Christ. That's really what Colossians is. It's a Magna Carta of his fullness, his supremacy, and his all-sufficiency. Now, how many of you are on Twitter? Okay, we have some people on Twitter. Well, I was doing some tweets today. And I've been tweeting, listen to this, the one who says, I know Jesus already, we need to go on to other things, has never met the Christ of Colossians. You can't get beyond him. 140 characters, so it fit. <laughs> Colossians in one word, Christ's inexhaustible fullness is humanity's sufficiency. I'll repeat that in another way in a minute. If you ever get to the place where Jesus Christ is not enough, then you haven't met the Lord of Colossians. Your Christ is too small. Let those things sink in. If you ever get to the place in your life where you meet someone, where Jesus isn't enough, they're seeking something outside of Him, or going on to other things. We got this Jesus thing down. Let's go on. They have not met the Christ that Paul is speaking of. Same Jesus, but different view. Paul deals with all this. It's fascinating because he cuts to the quick here and addresses all this. Okay, the two key texts. Let's look at them. Colossians 1, verse 19. What Paul does is he wraps the whole letter around these two key texts. Colossians 1, 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, Christ. So just think of that word fullness. We're going to look at it in a minute. The Father's good pleasure that all fullness dwell in Christ. And then in chapter 2, verse 9, is the other text. For in Him, meaning in Christ, because he speaks of Christ in the verse before that, for in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. All the fullness of deity, meaning all the fullness of God Himself dwells in Christ in bodily form. And what Paul does is he frames the whole letter around those two texts. Now, this brings us to the question of fullness. What on earth is fullness? The word fullness is pleroma in Greek. It's used four times in Ephesians, which is another incredible letter unveiling Christ. And it's used in several ways in the Old Testament. And let me give you how it's used in the Old Testament. The sea and all the fullness that's in it. It's used that way in the Old Testament. So think of the sea. In other words, the ocean. And then think of everything that's in the ocean. It's height, depth, width, breadth. Okay, that's fullness. Then another place in the Old Testament is used to refer to the earth and all of its content. So just think of this globe and everything that's in it. That's fullness. The fullness of the earth would be everything that's in the earth. And then the world, again in the Old Testament, Greek uh, translation of it, uh, Septuagint, the world and everything that's in it. So fullness, here are some words that you could replace with it. Plentitude, superabundance, reservoir, inexhaustible resource. Inexhaustible resource. When Paul used the term in Ephesians, the unsearchable riches, or the unfathomable riches, speaking of fullness. So when it says, 
all the fullness of the Godhead, all the fullness of deity, all the fullness of God dwells in this person, Christ, it means the sum total, everything that God is, was drained into Jesus of Nazareth. If I could uh, do it this way, the opposite of fullness would be emptiness. Poverty, lack, incompleteness. Let me give you a few word pictures. Think of the corner grocery store, you know, the 7-Eleven or the Jiffy. That's not fullness. Think of the Walmart Supercenter. You've got a grocery store there. You've got a pharmacy there. You've got a department store there. You've got a restaurant there. You've got an automobile center there. You basically have everything you need Okay, with a few things withstanding, but the Walmart Supercenter would be the fullness of consumer shopping, where the grocery, the corner grocery store is definitely not. And where are most Christians when it comes to a sighting of Jesus Christ? They're living on the corner grocery store. And they don't realize that He is the Supercenter. You understand? Okay. A tiny one. Yes. And of course they want to go on to other things and they've got to go to these other stores because that's all they know. They don't know that there's this Walmart Supercenter. <laughs> See what I mean? Christ is the Supercenter. And beyond, He's actually a mall that's connected to Lowe's and all that kind of stuff. I'm trying to give you an image of what fullness means. Okay, the guy that goes snorkeling for the first time. He goes out to the Gulf of Mexico and he's out there with his fins and his mask. He's in a real tiny part of the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, it's a speck. It's a blip in the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean. And um, he sees some coral, you know, he sees some fish, he sees some seaweed, you know, he sees a jellyfish. And he says, I've been in the ocean. I've looked in it. I've explored it. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. <laughs> Hello? Just think about how vast the ocean is. <laughs> he hasn't seen anything. Are you following me? That's Christ. And that's the Christian. And that's us. We've seen just a little bit. Experienced just a little bit. But he is the ocean and all that's in it. That's fullness. Does that make sense? Okay, another example, uh, and this actually, this is so cool because I think Paul has this in his mind when he's writing about the fullness of Christ in this letter, is the land of Israel. You know, all throughout the Old Testament, the central theme, the land. I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. It will have everything you need. It's super abundant. It's a good land. In Deuteronomy, it explains all the things that are in the land. I mean, you've got minerals. You've got food. You've got all kinds of food. You've got produce. And everything that Israel did, everything they, they used to live, not just the food, but the homes they built, it all came out of the land. And if you think about it, just look around here. Where did all this stuff come from? This earth. I mean, it's the chairs you're sitting in. What's that? Walmart? It came from the land. 
Amen. I can just hear somebody leaving this room and putting a note on Facebook. Yeah, Viola's teaching that Jesus is Walmart. This is what happens when you speak publicly. <laughs> oh my goodness. The boat chair came from the land. The clothes you wear, Brian, came from the land. The lights, the fan, it all came from the land. Okay, point. There's fullness in the land. And the land of Israel was a full land. It was a super abundant land. It was abundant. And they drew everything they needed from the land and when Paul's writing Colossians he uses these metaphors like being rooted and grounded in him rooted and grounded he has the land in mind in chapter 1 he refers to the allotted portion the allotted portion which is a direct reference to the Canaan yes Yes, great. No, thank you. Because when Israel came into the land, all the 12 tribes were given a part of the land to live in. They did it by lots. And it was allotted to each tribe. So he has that in mind too. Isn't it awesome? In a veiled way, he's saying the fullness of Christ. Think of the land, the land of Israel, that Israel, God's people, lived from. Why is he doing this? Why is he presenting Christ like this? Well, not only is it true, but they were seeking other things. They had Jesus as Savior down. Amen. Got the t-shirt, yes. They had Jesus as Lord down, but then they were seeking other things, more. Christ wasn't enough. And he was showing them, you don't know this Christ. Yes, Epaphras is a good man. He preached to you what he knew. But he didn't give it all to you. Let me uncork who this Christ is. And it's mind-blowing. Now, we won't turn there, but if you're taking notes, you might want to write it down. In John 1, 16-17, Jesus is in view here, because this is the Gospel of John. And John says of Christ, and of His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace now you have to understand John is writing to Christians he's writing to a believing community we don't know where but he is definitely writing to Christians it's very clear from the letter so he's saying to the Christian of his fullness we have all received we've all received something of his fullness and I'm speaking to this community here you all of Christ's fullness, all of us have received something. And grace upon grace. And in the Greek there, the word there means waves of grace on top of other waves of grace. You see, I receive grace from Christ for today to live today. By grace I stand. But you know, I need a fresh infusion of grace for tomorrow. <laughs> or if something comes up in my life, I'll need extra grace. So the Lord keeps presenting Himself out of His fullness. That's part of His fullness is grace. He gives more grace. And what did the Lord say to Paul about His grace when He was asking for the thorn of the flesh to be removed? What did He say about His grace? My grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. 
we get fresh grace. It's available. That's part of His fullness. And then it says, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now I'm just going to sum it up here in two words. The law came through Moses. What does the law say? It says this, demand, 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 demand. That's the law. Demand. you got to do. Demand, demand, demand. You know what grace says? Supply, 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 supply. See, Christ is grace. He's favor and power. That's what grace is. It's favor that you don't deserve. Unmerited, undeserved favor. And it's power to fulfill whatever it is that you need in your life. Here's the main point. Christ... This Christ that's beyond all of us. God the Father will engineer and is engineering, right now as I'm speaking, is engineering your life and putting you in circumstances. All for one reason. To put you in a position to discover the fullness and the sufficiency of Christ whether it's financial problems what is that? that's lack job issues relationship problems emotional problems whatever it is that's all engineered by God and you know it's not an accident the Lord just doesn't work that way you know all things have a purpose (laughs) and the bottom line is to put you and me in a position to discover the fullness of Christ that He is sufficient for whatever it is. Now what's interesting about the way He works is He never looks as though He's sufficient in the moment until we look back later. If you go back in your life you got to do rewind on your life. You've got to hit the rewind button and kind of preview and say, you know what? Look at that happen. This happened to me. There's no way out. That happened to me. And Christ was sufficient. And here's the other point. The fullness of Christ is available to every one of us. But here's the amazing thing. The fullness of Christ is only discovered and found and distributed and received through his body see we never encountered the fullness by ourselves it's through the this is why the church is so important he's deposited his fullness in the body of Christ So that means I can never walk in that fullness and receive Christ as my all-sufficiency by myself. You know how He does it? He will often do it through simply speaking through another member of the body and they don't even realize that they're being a conduit of the fullness of Jesus Christ. It may be His wisdom being imparted. It may be light being revealed and you hear it and you see it and if you embrace it you're like that's Christ 
See what I mean? It comes through us. And guess what? This is why it's so important that we learn how to function and we give ourselves to the Lord so that we can be a conduit of the Lord's fullness to one another. And in Ephesians, we won't turn there, but in Ephesians 3.17, it's a remarkable verse. It talks about that we together with all the saints, now this was all the saints in Asia Minor, Colossae was one of the churches there, we together with all the saints comprehend the height, the depth, the width of Christ so that we, plural, will be filled with the fullness of God. Now, where's the fullness of God? Where's the fullness of God located? It's in Christ. You can read it this way, so that we can be filled with Christ. But see, together, together with all saints, we comprehend, we apprehend, we receive the breadth, the height, the depth, the width of the love of God so that we will be filled with the fullness of God. Ephesians 3.17. How about I read it? Verse 17, I'll start here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now let me stop there. Jesus lives in you if you're a Christian. But this word dwell doesn't just mean live. It means makes his home in. He feels at home in you. (laughs) That Christ may make his home in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded. There's that term again. It's in Ephesians also. Rooted and grounded. In love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. See, it's beyond us. Love is part of His riches, a big part. Part of His fullness. That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Isn't that amazing? So that we may be full of Christ. See, there's an aroma that comes out, that's emitted out of a person and especially a church that's full of Christ. There is a fragrance of Jesus. That's what we're here for. We're, we're not here for an experience. We're not here for greater knowledge. We're here to receive the fullness of Christ through one another and to explore the fullness of Christ, to live by Christ, and then, listen now, to display Christ. To display Christ to one another, to display Christ to principalities and powers, to display Christ to visitors who will come here seeking with seeking hearts, and to display Christ to the lost. That will happen. But it begins by us comprehending the breadth, the height, the depth, (laughs) to know Christ and to know His love that we may be filled with Christ. Isn't that awesome? You don't need anything else. Make Christ your pursuit. That's why I like to say when people ask me, uh, and maybe you've heard me say this before, I was recently in Charlotte and I said this to somebody, so what are you guys talking about churches we're involved in? How do you feel about such and such, some doctrine? And what do you think about this in the Bible, you know, this certain kind of viewpoint. What's your take on such and such? And my answer is, we'll get to that. 
after we have explored all the riches and the glory and the fullness of Christ. Then we'll get to that other stuff. I didn't finish it by saying that other stuff that so many Christians are stuck on and camping out on and they miss Him who is the fullness of God. See what I mean? So we have one pursuit. It is Him. And it's not just rhetoric. This is why we're giving our time to the Lord and to one another. And that will increase. Let me tell you one of the marks of this. One of the marks. What is a mark that we are really beginning to experience the fullness, something of the fullness through one another? Well, one of the marks is we will be talking about the Lord outside these meetings. That when you're together, either over dinner or hanging out, He's just going to come up. And you know, it's rare to find a Christian who talks about the Lord. I mean, that sounds weird, doesn't it? But, you know, they'll talk about anything else. And it's almost like if you mention the Lord, like, oh yeah, Jesus, I know that. Yeah, I got that. I got, that. I got the t-shirt. I got a whole closet full of t-shirts on it. So let's talk about something else. <laughs> I know that Jesus stuff. But once you see Him and have experienced something of His fullness, you get a sighting of His greatness and His glory. And What else is there to talk about? I mean, you talk about other things, but it's still in context. It's all in context with this person. Christ. He comes out somewhere. You know, you may even start singing to Him. Spontaneously, you know. Wherever you are, at a restaurant, or whatever. Going for a walk. It just comes out. It's natural. It's like the guy who's in love. The other thing that happens is, I'm getting to where um, I want to go for the rest of this meeting. The meetings that we will have will not be low energy. They will be high energy. What are you talking about? The football game is not low energy. It's high energy. People are excited about something. Let me tell you what a glorious meeting is. It's when we're all so excited about the Lord, His fullness, his greatness, His awesomeness, the fullness of Jesus Christ, the beauty of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ, the riches of Jesus Christ, that we come here and we just can't wait to share. We can't wait to praise. And I'm going to give a little lesson here. There's very little silence. Now, there's two kinds of silences. I'm in equipping mode here, folks, so... There's two kinds of silences. There's, there's one silence that's pretty rare. But it is the silence of awe when the presence of God is sensed. Now, we're always in His presence. We're in His presence now, whether you feel it or not. But there is the sense of His presence. And the sense of His presence is not an indicator of anything. It doesn't mean that God's happy with you when you have it, and if you don't, He's not. That doesn't mean that. But there are times where a body of believers will be overcome with an awareness of His presence. It will be like a blanket falling on the group, and we're stunned, and nobody says a word. We might get on our knees. We just bask in this 
sense of his love and power and majesty. It's a holy hush. The other kind of silence is much more common. It is the silence of passivity. It is the silence of, okay, you just sing that song, through my song, or you're just sitting and waiting for someone to say something or do something. Now, I want you to imagine a meeting that's so full of life that everyone is so ready to share the Lord and to worship Him that there are no pauses. It's one song, and after that song, there's sharing, there's praise, there's declaration, there's prayer, there's reading, and then there's another song. And it's just on and on, and then during the sharing, after you sing, say it goes that way, you're almost falling on top of one another, interrupting one another. And everybody's bringing their part of His fullness we have all received. Everybody's bringing their part of Christ. And the Lord's being made visible. That's where we're headed. Is that exciting to you? You want to see that? Okay. you got to participate. Don't hate. Participate. you got to participate. See? We all come with something. We prepared to bring. i got to hold your attention, folks. So, I know you're tired. Alright, now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a quick outline of Colossians. But, Frank, you gave us an outline... Last time we met. Yes, I did. That was a complicated outline. It really wasn't complicated. It was detailed. I'm going to give you a real short one. Just something you can put in your head. Listen to this. Chapter 1. Christ is the fullness of God. Real simple. Chapter 1. Christ is the fullness of God. Chapter 2. Christ is the fullness of the body the church. Christ is the fullness of the body, the church. Chapter 1, Christ is the fullness of God. Chapter 2, Christ is the fullness of the body, the church. He fills the church and He's her fullness. Chapter 3, Christ is the sufficiency of our walk. He's the sufficiency of our walk. He is sufficient for our walk in life for our walk with one another. And then, chapter 4, Christ is the sufficiency of our work. Our work. Whatever that may be. Christ is the sufficiency of our work. And here is the one line that sums up Colossians. Christ's fullness becomes our sufficiency. Christ's fullness becomes our sufficiency. And if God is merciful to us over the next four months, that will become our experience. Christ's fullness is our sufficiency. And the final thing, in Colossians 1.10, he talks about the church there. He talks to the church. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of His fullness. And that's a relational knowledge, not an intellectual or theoretical knowledge. That's where we're headed. That's our journey. To discover Christ in all of His fullness, 
to explore His fullness, to share His fullness with one another. Out of His fullness we've all received. Well, out of His fullness, we don't just receive for ourselves. We don't close our mouth and shut the reservoir off and the river off. We open our mouths and let the living Christ come out, as the song says, so that we'll all be edified and built up so that we will receive of His fullness from one another.